We were made to rule Eberron. The Blades. Welcome back, humble adventurers, to my realm of knowledge and mystery. Here, in my cursed library, are endless tomes and scrolls on the darkest and evilest foes in all of the realms. Be they from Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, the many worlds of darkness, or any realm in between. Welcome to the Dastardly Decimal System. I'm your caretaker of Corrupt, the Librarian, Caster Kane. The Lord of Blades is a terrifying figure that threatens the land of Eberron. He serves as a beacon for all the disheartened and abused warforges that exist across Govair. But from what mind comes such an evil? Who is responsible? Do we blame the warforged himself? Or do we blame his creator? Take a seat as I brew us up some iron spice tea. It is a herbal tea that is popular amongst the dwarves of Eberron. Be careful though, it has a very unique aroma that is... an acquired taste. Let me pour you a cup as we talk about the artificer known as Aaron Decaneth. Before we look at the history of Aaron DeCaneth, we have to first look at the history of the Warforged. These two are so closely connected that it is almost impossible to differentiate the pasts of the two. When the last war started in the year 894 YK, the entire world found themselves in need of soldiers. They recruited fighters and mages from all walks of life and set them off to war. Most kingdoms didn't expect the war to last long. Some soldiers were even told that they would be back home with their families by year end. This, however, was far from the case. Fifty years of combat passed and the war showed no signs of slowing. Worse still, the supply of living souls to act as new soldiers was quickly drying up. Nearly every kingdom was in need of new swords and the men and women to wield them. The five kingdoms turned to House Caneth. House Caneth was known for innovation and the advancement of technology. When the war broke out, they turned their attentions to weapons, quickly becoming the weapon dealers for all five nations. Suddenly, across the world, a skirmish could not be found that was not using the weapons of House Caneth. Yet despite this, or possibly because of this, the number of soldiers was drastically plummeting. This is where Aaron DeCaneth entered the picture. He was born in a time of war. It was all he knew. He was the son of Merrick DeCaneth II. Aaron's brilliance quickly revealed itself at a young age. Taking after his father, Aaron took to the path of an artificer. He quickly found ease in the fields of mechanics, tinkering, and creation. Yet unlike his father, his mind also crossed into other fields of thought. Aaron was a dreamer who desired to unravel the mysteries of life. This led him down a philosopher's path. Aaron found himself debating the great mysteries of life. What was life? 
What made a person actually alive? What was the difference between an intelligent golem and a human man? What was a soul? As Aaron grew older, he dedicated more time to his studies. While his father focused primarily on the creations of new weaponry, Aaron studied nature and the essence of life itself. As it is with most boys, once they reach an age of manhood, their eyes dart away from their books and onto the forms of women, or men, or whatever. Aaron's eyes follow the same trend. Being from a respectable family, having earned the right to carry the surname to Caneth, Aaron had no short supply of female suitors begging for his attention. As most men did, he eventually settled on one woman, and the pair did wed. Nine months later, she gave birth to their firstborn son, one he named Merrick, after his father, of course. A newborn child would have distracted most people. This is a new change in your living environment. Your home life has completely been altered. And these are new responsibilities that pulls your mind away from studies and work and other such tasks. Aaron, however, found his mind suddenly enthralled by the idea of creating life. The thought clung to his mind day after day until it grew into an obsession. As he stared down at the child that he created, with the help of his wife, he found his mind wondering how he could replicate this beyond the normal means. Could he breathe life into his artificial creations? Was it possible to install true consciousness into metal and stone? Could he manufacture a soul? Around this time, his father had been developing a new golem design. They were imposing figures standing nearly two meters tall and weighing over 150 kilograms. And for those of you who live under imperial rule, that weighs a lot. Merrix looked at them as his new weapons, but Aaron saw something different in them. He took his father's creation and began to experiment with them. Aaron tried to incorporate organic material into their design, binding steel and stone together with a flexible material similar to the roots of live wood trees. These binding roots would be rapidly grown within the creation forge, reducing the cost of production. It was during these experimentations that something changed. Using a modified creation forge, Aaron created a new golem. It looked like those his father had made, but somehow they had sentience. They had independent, creative, and complex thoughts. And they even had emotional behavior. 
Unlike other golems, these new creations could even respond to healing magic. Aaron did not simply create a new form of golem. He had created a new species of life. Father and son both looked upon this new race with wonder, but each had a vastly different plan for their existence. Aaron wanted to help his new race find its place in the world, but Merrix wanted to use them for war. These were the tireless warriors that the world desperately needed. He modified his son's creations and constructed a new creation forge. From there, he began the mass production of a new race born with the knowledge, expertise, and desire to fight in a war. He named this new race the Warforged. Soon, the house was mass-producing platoons of armored constructs and selling them to each of the five kingdoms. It wasn't long before every army was filled with these mechanical killing machines. This made House Caniff the most powerful house of them all. Aaron, however, was disgusted by his father's actions. This was abuse and enslavement of his new race, of his children. The Warforge were intelligent people that had the ability and freedom to make their own choice in life, and suddenly, that freedom had been robbed from them. Aaron fought against his father. He struck out an attack, even attempted to destroy some of the creation forges. His attacks and rebellious activities escalated to such a height that House Caneth was left with no other choice but to disinherit Aaron from the family. In year 970YK, Aaron was no longer a member of his family and simply vanished. The last war came to an end on year 996YK, with the signing of the Treaty of Thornhold. Of the many tenets of the treaty, one of the most important sections was the one that granted emancipation of all warforged and banning of the creation forges. No longer would a warforge belong to a person or an army, and no longer could House Caneth simply create more. The Warforged were finally free to live their lives however they chose. While it was the morally correct decision, it was also a decision that both Warforged and Fleshborn struggled with. Warforged were soldiers literally born to fight, but now had no war in which to do so. Many were lost, searching for a purpose in their eternal lives. Some took to employment in stores or factories, but this caused turmoil with the Fleshborns. Warforged were workers that did not need to sleep or eat, and were perfectionists at whatever they did. Employers were desperate to hire them, and the men and the women of the cities found themselves falling into forge hate, as they rallied behind a classic, desperate cry to action. 
So what happened to Aaron DeCaneth? Following his expulsion, Aaron vanished. In truth, his fate remains a mystery. Merricks, both the father and son version, have each called upon diviners and inquisitives in order to find Aaron, but none have proved successful. Some reports and rumors have said that Aaron has been seen traveling the world, acting as some sort of savior as he works to help his Warforge adapt to their new lives. Other reports, however, and these are far more numerous, say that Aaron has gone mad. He has resorted to attacking House Caneth, dubbing himself the punishment for their inhumane crimes. There have even been reports that he has aligned himself with the Lord of Blades, aiding the cult leader in his attempt to create new Warforge and build weapons in which to strike with as they attack the Fleshborn and terrorize House Caneth. The weirdest and most outlandish theory, however, is that Aaron de Caneth is not working with the Lord of Blades, but instead that he is actually the Lord of Blades. The story goes that Aaron has either built himself a suit of armor that makes him appear to be a Warforge, or somehow he has transferred his mind into the body of a Warforged. He now leads the Blades, an army of lost, disheartened, and violent Warforged, to strike back against the world that wronged him and his children. He believes that Warforged deserve vengeance, and he will seek it out personally. This theory is horrid, psychotic and terrifyingly plausible. If Aaron DeCaneth is actually the Lord of Blades, then this story takes a dark, sinister turn. This story is no longer about simply protecting his Warforge. The story is now about the lengths a parent will go to punish those who have hurt his children, even at the cost of his own sanity. A parent scorn is a truly, truly frightening thing. It seems that our tea has once again run dry, which means our time is now up. Join me again in my library for more stories and lore about the darkest villains from the darkest realms. This has been the Dastardly Decimal System, and once again, I'm your librarian, Caster Kane. The Dastardly Decimal System can be found on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at DD System Podcast. That's Delta Delta System Podcast. Drop us a message and say hi. Vega always loves the attention. This podcast was produced by Midnight Reading Audio, a division of Midnight Reading Publishing. The voice of Caster Kane is Larry Gent. Hi. The voice of Vega the Cat was provided by my cats, Vash and Zid. Music was 
Who Weeps for the Creeps? Alfred Grupstra from Pixabay.com, licensed under the Creative Commons. Sorry that I butchered that name. Thank you, and have a wonderful, wonderful evening. Vega, are you still hunting for Steamboat Willie?